Welcome to the PK Experience Podcast. My name is Peter King, I'm the host of the show, and I've got a very special guest with me today. His name is Jarek Robbins. Jarek is a powerhouse leader, trainer, influencer, author. Um, he's worked with many of the world's top echelon in various industries. For example, he's worked with the U.S. Air Force and their para jumping team. He's worked with uh, the Marines, Fortune 500 companies, the executives there, top entrepreneurs, top athletes. Jarek has um, influenced many, many top performers. And uh, there's it's not a coincidence. Jarek, uh, as I said, is a force to be reckoned with. He's got a great book out on Amazon called Live It, which we dive into a little bit in the call here. And that's about it. I'm going to keep this intro pretty quick because I want to dive right into the call. So we'll just leave it at that. Here I am with Jarek Robbins. All right. We are here with Jarek Robbins. Thank you so much for taking the time to be uh, on the show today, Jarek. Appreciate it, brother. Uh, of course. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. You. Uh, Hello, everyone. <laughs> Jerk just gave you a big wave for those who are listening. Um, so uh, lots to talk about, not a ton of time to talk about it in, but you are the author of a book called Live It, Achieve Success by Living with Purpose. Um, purpose is a big inspiration of mine and, and wanting to you know better understand my own purpose and helping other people find their purpose. How do you first and foremost, how do you define what purpose is? It depends on what people are using it for. It's a great question. It's a really great question. And it, it depends on what people are using it for. If people are using it to try to figure out what their vocation should be, there, there's a formula that you can use to identify something a little bit better uh, that'll feel like a calling instead of a purpose. But that calling, um, there's four things that you look in, in in the Venn diagram of the crossover and you need a crossover of all four. And the first is something that you really love. Like you love it. You would do it 24 hours a day, seven days a week if you could. You just want to do it all the time nonstop. Two, something you're actually good at. This takes a little bit of self-awareness. <laughs> Some of us love to sing and we're not good at singing. Doesn't mean you can't get good at it. You just suck right now at it. <laughs> and that's okay. I have a strong belief that says you got to suck long enough to become okay and be okay long enough to be good and good long enough to become great. Yeah, like so that. it's okay if you suck at it right now. If you're willing to practice long enough and hard enough to eventually become great at it, you can use it. If not, don't put it on the second list, which is what are you really great at? So what do you love? What are you great at? Third list, what does the world need more of? It's the name of a podcast we have that we, we have running right now. And it, it's what the world, what does the world need more of? And, and you got to be honest with yourself and say, what do I honestly and truly believe the world needs more of? And write that list. And then the final list is, what are people willing to pay for? And, and it's saying, what do they want is this question. Because it's not what they need that they're willing to buy. It's what they want. Mm -hmm. People need broccoli, but they buy Cheetos all day long. Mm -hmm. Like People don't line up around the corner to buy a bag of Cheetos or a bag of broccoli from places. Like they, they know they need it, but that's not what they're looking for. They want the Cheetos because it tastes a heck of a lot better. Right. <laughs> and right. so you got to figure out based on what you love, what you're great at, what does the world need more of, and what people want, what's the crossover that all of a sudden could become a calling for you and a vocation, something you could do that you really enjoy, it, you're passionate about it, you find purpose in it. Um, which brings us, that, that's one piece. If they're looking for a vocation type purpose, mm -hmm. if they're looking for a life purpose, um, th there's a combo here. It's, in my experience, it's not about finding it as much as it's about purposefully in your mind attaching it to everything you're doing. Um, there's a story I always share with people. I was volunteering and teaching organic farming in a village over in Uganda. 
rural farming village, no electricity, no running water, no no toilets. It's just rural farming village. People live literally in mud huts. Mm-hmm. Like they use mud bricks to make the walls, thatch roof with with like branches and stuff to make the roof, and they live in, on the ground in the mud, little tiny round place with like little beds inside of it. It's mm-hmm. tiny. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not even the size of a room in in most people's houses. Like it's it's the size of maybe a small bathroom right. as the whole house. And, and that's where they live, and, and they're all farmers, and they farm. And so we were there to help, and every morning I woke up to watch the sunrise, and every morning I'd see this little man come out of the clinic. It was about 100 yards outside the window from the building I was sleeping in, and I'd watch him every morning with this long thatch broom, like step, step, sweep, sweep, step, step, sweep, sweep, sweep this long dirt path all the way to the main road, turn around, sweep it all the way back, and then he would stand on the porch and have the biggest smile on his face I've ever seen. And I just got so damn curious. Like, why did they do it every morning at the same time? He never misses. He's so damn happy about it. Like, what's going on in this guy's world? When I interviewed him, asked him, you know, why do you do what you do? He told my friend who was translating, he said, because I'm supposed to. And I was like, no, why do you do what you do? <laughs> like, <laughs> you sleep in a broom closet at a local clinic slash hospital because it's the only room that has electricity and you sleep in literally a closet with a cot that touches all four corners of the room that you live in. And you wake up every morning and have this huge smile on your face from sweeping a little dirt path. Like, why are you doing this? What's, yeah. what's the, what, what is it? What's the purpose? What's the meaning here? And we kept digging and eventually his face lit up and I'm like, yeah, that, that, that. And he said it, he said, you know, I believe every human being, whether it's a small child about to enter this world or a sick or elderly person about to leave this world through the clinic, or the hospital like place, he said, I believe they deserve a clear path to do so. Mm. Mm. I was like, damn. I mean, this guy sweeps leaves, but he has deep purpose in his life because he's associated deep purpose and meaning to the simple activity he does every day, which is clearing a path for people to enter and exit the world through. And all he does is sweep leaves off a dirt path. Yeah, that's such a good point. There's What is that... Um that uh, analogy or the uh, that little story where they they say one man is a bricklayer, another man builds cathedrals. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same activity, but the purpose and the attachment that you're talking about that they're bringing to it changes the entire context of the uh, of the activity. Yeah, and companies are catching on to this, and they're starting to do trainings around helping people find more purpose and meaning in what they're doing. Yeah. and it's not finding it; it's associating it. And it's helping them connect it, and then it's announcing it, rewarding it, and applauding it. Would you, know, you there say was a that hosp- it's, uh, Sorry, would you say that it's finding it first and then associating it? Um, it's I mean, defining it. So there's a piece where there's a hospital, and if you were an operator at the hospital who, like, someone calls and says, "Hi, I'm here to talk to Doctor So and So," and you go, "Okay, let me let me put you on a schedule." Okay, thank you. Click next one. Hey, I'm, I, I need an appointment with Doctor So and So. Okay, great. Let me put you on the schedule. Here you go. Click. And, and the doctor is the hero because he or she saves lives every day. And the receptionist is the receptionist. Like, what's the real purpose of answering the phone? So they said, wait a second, let's change this so that everyone could be a hero here, not just the one person who mm. writes the prescription. Mm. And so they said, let's see how we can do this. And they got creative. And they said, here's what we're going to do. Anytime someone calls... We want all the operators to ask them if they've had a cancer screening or if they've had a screening for whatever the top things are people are struggling with. If they haven't, we want that person to then set them the meeting they called for, their appointment they called for, and set them a, a, an appointment for the, fi- the, the, the top <laughs> illness that people are struggling with. Mm-hmm. 
if it is found that they have, let's say, cancer, breast cancer, if it's found that they have it, all of a sudden they have a party for the receptionist and go, wow, this person right here helped save someone's life today because they helped set the meeting that caused the identification of an early onset, which caused us to get rid of it before it even started. Mm. You know, Sally, James, Jim, whoever answered the phone, they're the hero just as much as the doctor. And people are like, wow, good job on saving that person's life. And now the receptionist was saving someone's life just as much as the doctor was. Mm. And now the receptionist has deep meaning in what they're doing because they're there saving people's lives every day, not just answering the phone. Yeah, huge, huge uh, shift in waking up and going to work every day from just collecting a rent, uh, a paycheck to uh, I have real value and meaning and fulfillment in my life. And part of that took upper management and the board and the team to get together and go, wait a minute, we need every person on this team feeling like they're most important. If you've ever played American football, it's getting the offensive line to feel just as important as the quarterback. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that left tackle misses his block, quarterback's toast. Right. So they are important. They just don't always feel important. It's amazing. Figuring out how to have the conversation to let them know that they're appreciated, they're needed, they're part of the team, they make a difference. It's getting that into the conversation. Same thing at home. Right. You know, every person needs to be acknowledged and appreciated. Yeah. Your husband and the wife both need to be told, hey, I appreciate it from each other. I appreciate it. All these things you do. And they need to be told every single day. Mm -hmm. And as they're acknowledged and appreciated, all of a sudden they start to feel more purpose in doing it because it's like, wow, this is important. You care when I make the bed in the morning after you get up. You care that. You know, I take care of the kids all day or I go to the office all day. You care. Wow. And they start to feel important because it's being acknowledged and appreciated constantly. Yeah. It's amazing to me how few companies and and for that matter, relationships that you're talking about miss this. Um, It's more than in, in my work with other businesses, there's such a drive for growth and sales and revenue and all that. And I'm like, I know. That's why you need to acknowledge and attach purpose and fulfilled employees are more productive employees. They're going to go the extra mile. They're going to, you know, not go in when they're feeling a little bit off or whatever. They're going to give you more. So I don't understand why people don't make that connection to that. This isn't just altruistic. Hey, this is it's nice to be nice kind of thing. It's yeah. it's more profitable. You have better relationships. You feel more alive. You're more fulfilled. You're yeah. like why do people miss that? Do you think it hasn't it hasn't linked up yet? They don't get it. I mean, there's books talking about it, like Firms of Endearment, Conscious Capitalism, these types of things, where they're showing, and and it's one of my favorite graphs to show people. I wish I had it, um, where where they're showing, you know, the if I remember correctly, S and P 500 over a 10 year period of time has a 122 percent growth. A good to great company, which was the uh, they all were designated by the hedgehog factor and having these incredible leaders that drive things forward in massive innovation and creativity, but they're really powerful leadership. Uh, those ones have 331% growth over that same 10-year period of time. And then there's something called firms of endearment. And firms of endearment take care of the community, take care of their stakeholders, take care of their employees, take care of their customers, and take care of the good, greater good of society overall. And so they look at all these factors and they really take pride in really taking care of every factor that's involved. Mm -hmm. And these companies grow at 1,026% over the same 10-year period of time. (laughs) Like not even in the same ballpark. It's a different game. And these companies are Whole Foods, Patagonia, Trader Joe's, BMW, Harley-Davidson, REI, 
Like these are the companies that people love to work for. Mm -hmm. You know, people who work at Patagonia happen to be outdoorsy, if you noticed. (laughs) You know, if you go to REI, most of these people look like they go hiking on the weekends because they do. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you go to Whole Foods, you get a lot of foodies that work there. They're creative people who love foodies. Harley Davidson tends to attract some guys and gals who ride some hogs. Like you you get the, the you understand these people are part of the community and culture for the organization they work for mm-hmm. and the organization takes care of them you know whole foods did this right jacked it up did it right jacked it up <laughs> and they've gone back and forth yeah. one of my favorite stories was when they very 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 first started they originally started under a different name and they were a co-op and it was all about the community all about making a difference all about providing the healthiest food locally um, and, and he found out as a co-op, they spent more time arguing over which companies they're going to boycott that they didn't agree with than they did actually growing the business. Interesting. <laughs> so they're like, okay, this stuff's got to stop. Like we need an actual business, man. So they cut the co-op out and he screwed it up. He did high prices, low pay for employees, maximum profit was his goal. And, and at the time the dude was still sleeping upstairs in the physical Whole Foods oh, wow building like yeah. he was taking showers in the sink upstairs <laughs> and then they had a mat and and his all the co-op people were like you sold out you traitor we hate you and little by little he started to get it right back where you really take care of your employees you really take care of the community you take care of your people who are you know your your vendors that you're doing business with and he started to learn because he got a lot of pushback and eventually he got to a point where he started really serving the community really serving his vendors, really serving his employees, and he built a family-like community through this store, so much so that there was a massive storm that literally flooded the entire store, crushed all their inventory, and they were out of business. They lost all their 40 grand they had, they were done. Hmm. And all of a sudden, the next day, a bunch of employees showed up, and he's like, I can't pay you, we're done. Like, we're out, we have no more money. And they're like, we just love working here, and they started to clean up the store. Wow. And then shoppers, started showing up with mops and buckets and brooms. Shoppers didn't. And they're like, I wouldn't live here if this store wasn't here in this town. So I need y'all to exist so that I can get my healthy foods and do life the way I want to. So I'm going to help clean this stuff up. Then his vendors and suppliers gave him advanced inventory on a line of credit that they gave him to have a chance to put it back on the shelves and resell it to keep it alive. I didn't know that. That's Isn't that amazing. amazing? That's amazing. I mean, that's like, that, that is that's the, legit. That is that is the power of uh, my, the very first episode I did was with Simon Sinek, and he often says people don't buy what you do; they buy why you do it. And right. uh, to have that clear why, that clear purpose, is hugely profitable, and not just on the bottom line, but in in lives. <laughs> you know, right. in the in the meaning of of one's life. Um, yeah. Okay, the other so part that starts to happen is in that purpose, one more piece that can help there yeah. is if you look at purpose and you take just what's most important to you, your top three values, and people always go, well, wait a minute, my business values or my life values? Well, you just learned a lot about that person. <laughs> they just revealed <laughs> the fact that they see their life and their business as separate things. Mm. And if they go, what about my business, my relationship values, and then my, my, my personal values? You're like, wow, they see all of this as separate. And some people do. But some people see it as everything's part of life and some people see it as everything's separate. That's okay. Now, however you do it, pick your business values. And if you see your top three business values, one, you have to make sure the whole team's aligned (laughs) 
Because if everyone values different things, I mean, again, American football, imagine your left tackle values uh, a four-hour work week and not having to put in the extra effort, but your quarterback values showing up early, staying late, and doing everything they can to to thrive and survive. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a different experience on Sunday. One guy's going to be ready. One guy's not. And when the person busts through your left tackle and runs you over, I don't care as as a quarterback how hard you trained, you're going to get run over and blindsided because you're your left tackle believes in the four-hour work week and didn't come to practice half week. Right. You're screwed. Right. And so you got to make sure all your team members have the same beliefs. And it's okay to have the four-hour work week concept if everyone eats, sleeps, breathes, and lives it and optimizes it. It's okay to work 24-7 as long as everyone's on board. But you need to make sure the team is cohesive and all in line with what the real values are. And not just what's written on the wall. Because a lot of people write good stuff on the wall, but then when you watch how they treat each other, it's not what's written on the wall. Right. <laughs> so it's got to be what's actually happening, not what's just being written and dreamed about in good planning meetings every year. Like it's yeah. got to be the real deal. The best place um, to see that is 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 in somebody's uh, accounting and their calendar. Where are you spending yeah. your money and your time, and is that yeah. in alignment with your values? Show yep. me your calendar. Show me your. Show me your. Uh, well, the truth is, if you look at their calendar and their and, and their B, their P and L or where they're spending their money, you know what their values are. You right. don't have to ask them. Right. They just told you what their values are. It's where they spend all their time and money. Now, once you know what they are, now you got to make sure that you help them link up. And this is where a lot of purpose is found. All their daily actions that are necessary to get the results, they have to link those up mentally to their top values. Anytime you hear the person saying, I should be doing this, or I really have to be doing this, or, oh yeah, I know I need to get to that, all that means is it's something they don't believe in their mind is aligning with their top values. Because hmm. if it's aligned with their top values, it's, I can't wait to do that, I'm so excited to do that, I can't believe I get to do that. When their top values are aligned, you hear a whole different conversation about all the stuff they have to do that day. Mm-hmm. And it's get to, want to, excited to. Mm-hmm. If it's not aligned, you hear have to, I know I need to, I must do that. It's it's all the ugh feeling. And all that means is mentally, they don't see how by doing this, it helps them stay in alignment with what's actually most important to them in life. So even let's say for somebody who values health, right? Getting out and, and running, uh, as I mentioned before we started the podcast, you know, I'm here in St. Louis, the, the winters are miserable, it's cold, it's yeah. dreary. Like getting up early to go out for run are you saying that if I if I was to say I gotta go run, even though I value fitness and being healthy, that there's an out of alignment there? And if so, how do I how do I how do I like to go for a run in the dreary cold winter? Jarek, please um, help me because I need some help. Okay, that. no problem. Uh, the first is it's losing track of the outcome and getting caught up in in the vehicle. So the vehicle is called running, mm-hmm. but that's not the only vehicle that can take you to your health outcome. And so you say, what's the outcome? It's to stay healthy, vibrant, fit, and alive. Mm-hmm. Okay, what are all the vehicles that can get me there? You don't have to go for a run. You could do plyometrics. You could do Tabata in your living room. You could do jump rope in the garage. You could build an, your own gym in the garage. You could buy a treadmill desk and just walk all day. And as a matter of fact, running, according to the blue zones where people live the longest, the centenarians or centurions, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. most of these people don't have... 60 minutes of grueling hardcore exercise every day. They have 20 minutes of, of type cardio, type Tabata, type exercise, and most of it's gardening, walking to go get water down the road, going to communicate with their friends. What they really have is perpetual motion, 
which means they're constantly in motion all day long, mm. meaning they're getting up, sitting down, walking across town, sitting down, standing up, leaning down, doing some gardening, going to get some water. They're always moving. Mm. And so the truth is it might be fun. It might feel good to go for the run, but there's probably at least 20 other things you could do that morning besides running to still get the same effect if you really want it. Now, how to fall in love with running if that's like I have to run and it's dark, blistery, cold outside. And I've done this. I was speaking at an event in Ireland and it was – I don't even know what the hotel was. Like the Red Lion something, Dens Inn or something. There was no gym in this hotel, which they had an indoor pool but no gym. So that was like, okay, interesting choice, y'all. But I was – and I didn't have the right gear with me. So I just put on four layers of clothes and was jogging around the outside of the building all morning as people were coming in for the event that I was speaking at. And they're like, hey, it's a speaker. Why are you outside? And I was like, as I'm running circles around the building. Um, Now, what's funny about that is I just like to run because it gets my heart rate going, makes me feel fired up. And, And so the way to actually enjoy that, again, is linking it up. What value does this connect with that's more important to to me than short-term pain or uncomfort. What value? What does it mean to me? Who am I? Mm. And when I thought about it, I said, you know what? I'm going to link this up to taking care of the ones I love. Because I said, if I can become more resilient as a man, I can take care of my wife and future children. Imagine they got stuck in the cold somewhere and I needed to go jog three miles to get to them to save their life. Am I prepared? Mm -hmm. Did I practice? Did I get my mind and body into a place that literally I could run that three miles without the right gear and know I could successfully get it done, save their lives, and get them back to shelter and safety when needed? Let me ask you. And in my mind, I played that scenario and I said, shit, I got to get outside and practice. Well, you kind of just. So all of a sudden, I'm outside (laughs) running in circles and I'm like, what is this for? This is for any future scenario that I need to be ready for this to know that one, I can do it and two, I can do it exceptionally well and absolutely deliver. I don't want uncertainty if my family's on the line. I took a top value, created a story around it and all of a sudden it's very important to train. So I was just going to ask you how you, how you on the granular level, how you actually go about linking that up. And you started to answer that right now with, with telling that story. So do you come up with sort of a worst case scenario and, and or best case, but, but I mean, attach it to your value um, mm-hmm. And then is there a process through which you're actually um, – it's one thing to intellectually just associate, but it's another thing to really deeply feel like, shit, if my family is in, in – you know, uh, th- they're being threatened or something and I have to run or whatever, uh, that's more of a visceral, emotional thing. Are you, are you meditating? Do you really kind of – do you close your eyes and really as- associate? How do you actually link that value to that – that vehicle or that thing that you're sure everyone's different on this um some people very 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 practical people like total logical people will think this is completely ridiculous and irrelevant they'll be like that's stupid i will not run outside it's just a waste of energy and if my family's cold then i'll do it but i'm not even going to think about it until then that's okay the emotional people they'll be able to feel it and go, oh my gosh, that's so important to me. And they'll drive them to action. And and it's a combo of, of, you know, 
emotional reasons and logical reasons. And, you know, this is basic sales. The only reason someone buys into something is they need enough emotional reasons to buy now and enough logical reasons to buy now. <laughs> Same thing here. Mm -hmm. To buy into the fact that you need to go run in the cold, you need enough logical reasons why this makes sense and you need enough emotional reasons why this makes sense. Mm -hmm. And you got to keep stacking them. So I believe in stacking, which means you come up with one reason and go, okay, that's, that's nice. Then I need two reasons and three reasons and four reasons and five reasons and six reasons and then switch over and go now logic. What's a logical reason? What's another one? What's another one? What's another one? What's another one? Then go back to emotion. What's another emotional reason? Another emotional reason. And you keep stacking. People say, well, how much do you stack? Keep stacking until you're literally outside running. <laughs> right. You built up enough emotional rocket fuel, I call it. Yeah. wrote about it in, in, in my book, Live It, where it's enough emotional rocket fuel that you're literally propelled into motion. That's how you know you have enough. If you're if you're still sitting there thinking, you don't have enough. Keep stacking. Um, and for some people, they could stack like five and be like, ah, I'm gonna run it out the door. Right. And other people, they'll stack like 250 and be like, I still don't know if it's worth it. But if you keep going, eventually you'll be like, ah, screw it. I'm tired of thinking. I'm just gonna go outside. Right. So you uh, you've authored the book. What other what other things are you doing with your time? How? Because uh, the deeper question for me was. Uh, like, how do you define what your purpose is for you? Or how do you communicate what your purpose is? So let me start there. What What do you say is your purpose? Sure, this is pretty simple. So it, it's changed over time. And it's changed just because I've evolved as a person. And, and I've seen what's actually most important. Um, and I can show you a little bit of an evolution. When I was younger, it was about transforming the world, changing a million lives, touching a billion people, like all this jazz. And then I've gotten older. I just realized, I'm like, you know what? The whole starfish on a beach story, if, if, if you're familiar with it, where one morning, it was like 2.30 in the morning, and there's this little kid running all over the beach, just like, and all the starfish had, had been swept up on shore, and then the, the tide went out, and they're all stuck on the, on the beach. And this little kid is like sprinting and grabbing one and chucking it out in the ocean and running and grabbing one and chucking it in the ocean. And, and some person looks over and goes, kid, what are you doing? There's like 100,000 starfish on this beach. There's no way you're going to get to them all. And he's like, it doesn't even matter. Your effort is worthless. Like, there's no way you can get to the 100,000 starfish that are on the beach. And the kid goes, he picks it up, he throws it. And he's like, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. And he picks up the next one. He looks at it and he goes, sure as shit matters to this one. And he chucks it out to the ocean and then runs to the next one and keeps going. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I've learned to transform our whole mission. And what's funny is our business grew rapidly when we made this distinction and decision, which was... Our, our our purpose as a mission is to reach the purpose, the, reach the person that needs us most at the moment they need it with the message they need. Mm. Crazy easy part is we don't know who they are, what they are, what they need, but every day our team works their faces off pushing out good thoughts through all of our platforms all over the world. Now I'm blessed to say every single day we receive messages from all over the world saying, "Wow, I needed that," or "Thank you so much," or "I was depressed and this gave me, reminded me of what you know why I should live." Or I was going through a shit time and this, you know, put a smile on my heart for the day. Mm. And it, it can be the simplest thing in the world, but it's just reaching the people that need us most at the moment they need us with the message they need. Mm. And, and what's wild is that's why we do stuff like, you know, this podcast or, or these conversations is my hope is someone's listening. I don't know who you are, where you are, what you need, but I hope you'll find it in this conversation. Mm -hmm. and, and it's truly a blessing to be able to do that. And what's funny is when we transformed to that being the core mission of what we do, all of our metrics and numbers grew exponentially because it was less about what can we get and it was more about what can we give. 
and and that transforms every relationship. I know before we talked, you were asking me what was my experience with my father, um, and and when I was younger, it was wanting his love, wanting his approval, wanting that connection, wanting that time. You know, he was busy building a business and he spent 300 and something days a year on the road building it from scratch. And so I wanted to have connection with him. I wanted to see him. I wanted to have that love and approval like a lot of sons or daughters do from their parents or grandparents or whoever it is. And and so a lot of times I wanted this so much from him that I was hungry for it. And so uh, a lot of times in our lives when we're hungry for someone's love or affection, we'll, we'll think we need to be a certain way. So I started showing up how I thought he wanted me to show up to, to get that love or appreciation or approval from him. And over the years, I kind of crafted myself into the version of myself he thought he wanted me to be or he would approve of or, or that kind of stuff. Uh, eventually, I decided to be like, you know what? No, I need to figure out what I'm all about. I need to take off the mask. I need to take off the fancy clothes and just do me. Mm-hmm. Show up exactly how I'd show up. Get very comfortable in my own skin, right. which is a, a big thing for a lot of people. It's, it's like, how the heck do you get... It, it can is be really, yeah, disorienting. So how did you, so what did you do and what did you discover in that process? Um, well, those four questions, number one, who did you want love from the most? Uh, number two, who did you think you had to be in order to receive that love or attention or affection? Number three, you know, who are you today? A lot of times it's a mirrored reflection of who you thought you needed to be. And then number four, what do you need to start doing? What do you need to stop doing to just be more yourself? Can we and I, can we go through those questions as you in through your journey and kind of map that so that people can see how that affected the, the yeah, change of your trajectory? So yeah, you were talking about your your father's love and significance. Um, mm-hmm. So you ident- was it your father or your mother? So for me, it was my dad okay. and my grandma. Okay, two of them, <laughs> two people I looked up to, two people I was close to, and I wanted both of their love and affection. My mom gave it to me twenty four seven, all the time, everywhere. Like I could kick an animal and she'd be like, Oh, but I love you. Like I could be a horrible human and she would just yeah. think I would be a beautiful soul cause yeah. I'm her baby. Yeah. So I, God bless my mom. I love her cause she gives me never ending amounts of love regardless of what kind of human I choose to be. Yeah. Now dad and grandma, they had some, they had some, some structure Standards, to it, yeah. at least in my head. Yeah. Now this is the truth. It <laughs> wasn't in reality. Bless you. It wasn't in reality. It was in my head. I thought they had structure and rules of who I needed to be. But in reality, they weren't really there. And I learned this later when I grew up a little. But in my head, I thought there were certain structures of how I needed to show up for for that approval or, or love from them. And so I thought I needed to be, you know, a good person. I thought I needed to work hard. I thought I needed to have good grades. I thought I needed to succeed. I thought I needed to help people. All these, it's natural, normal, good stuff, a big part of who I am still. I thought I needed to be neat and orderly, always have my shirt tucked in, always had my home, my hair combed, always be dressed the best, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Somehow I picked up along the way. And in my book, I write about it where literally there was like a little moment where I went for family pictures and my stepmom told me, hey, comb your hair and tuck your shirt in. Your dad's going to be real mad if he sees you with, with, you know, messy like that. That was nothing more than trying to convince a kid to tuck in their shirt for the family photo. That was nothing to do with my dad. Yeah. But in my mind, for the next 15 years of my life, I thought every time I was around my dad, I had to have my shirt tucked in and my hair combed. Mm. What's funny is so many years later, we were on a trip to go see the gorillas in Rwanda, and I asked him. I was like, you know, do you care if my shirt's tucked in? He looked at me and goes, 
why the fuck would I care if your shirt's tucked in? <laughs> like, do you care if my hair's messed up? He's like, again, why the hell would I care if your hair's messed up? <laughs> I'm like, you're telling me for 15 years I've thought I had to have this shit perfect all the time? And he started laughing. He goes, how the hell did you come up with that? Mom. And I said, shit, I don't know. <laughs> and I thought back, and I was like, oh, my gosh. It was the stupid family photos we did that year. Yep. And I had my hair all messed up and my shirt all jacked up. And my stepmom told me, just to get me to tuck in the shirt, your dad's going to be real upset if he sees you like that. And and for 15 years, I thought I had to show up a certain way, all because of one unintentional comment that was made but for no other reason than to make the picture look good. It's, it's and am- she didn't even and, – and, you know, she I told her that story. She laughed. She goes, I don't even remember saying that. Right, exactly. It's exactly. Like, As parents. I mean, I, and you don't have any kids yet, but I know that too. Like, I'm – I'm very cognizant of that. Like, I wonder what little thing I said that just was an off the. I wonder thing. what I said that's going to royally jack up my <laughs> exactly. kid for twelve years. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I think. I love it. Oh man, I hope it's not anything too bad. But uh, you know, I'm trying to teach them awareness and all that. But what are you going to do? Like, there's, there's, you can't be perfect, and uh, we we all have to go through that process. So, that's but it right. is amazing how those little things turn into. I mean, you took 15 years. Some people live a lifetime live a lifetime they're not even aware that they're doing it it's driving their behavior they're not even aware and they're in a vocation that they don't love they're you know driving cars that they have no like i i i went through this sort of same process i'm like why am i driving the what i'm driving i was like well yeah i guess it's the car i was my dad always drew and it was i was familiar with it i knew it and i mean yeah i like it but it just got me to think if if i had my free choice would i actually choose this car it it's but watch this yeah. Why do you speak the language you speak? Why do you believe in the religion you believe in? Mm-hmm. Why do you live in the part of town you live in? Why do you drive the car you drive? Why do you wear the clothes you wear? Why do you do all this stuff? Yep. Most of us, there was never a point in our life that we made a personal decision to say, this is what I choose after reviewing all the options, after looking at everything that was available, this is what I'm choosing to do with my life. Instead, it's what you just said. My dad used to drive that car, I drive that car. My parents live on this side of town, I don't know, I just felt normal to live somewhere around here. Uh, you know, someone's, I've always worn these clothes since I was a kid. You know, why do you wear the underwear you wear? Probably the same underwear you've been wearing since you were a kid. And some other, someone else bought your underwear at that point in your life, and you're like, I don't know, it's just what I've always worn, it's comfortable. <laughs> and it, it's stupid to say, but it's the reality of what real. most people do. It just caught up in a pattern. Duke University found out that after doing a research project, 60% of what we do every day is nothing more than an unconscious pattern. Wow. Meaning we're not even cognitively awake. If you look at that, it, you know, if you look at a chart, imagine like brain waves where they're spiking up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. When we do something for the first time, the brain waves are like all over the place. When you do it for the 20th time, there's a spike in the beginning and then your brain waves go to almost dormant on the bottom, hmm. and then when you switch activities, they spike back up at the end, hmm. meaning your brain's literally turned off and you're in autopilot. Mm-hmm. People call this unconscious competence, meaning you don't have to be conscious to complete the activity, mm-hmm. which people take pride in if it's a skill set you were trying to learn. The problem is it's why when people get older, they say, oh my gosh, time just flies by. It means most of the day your brain was literally unconscious because you were going through unconscious physical routines that you do every single day without even paying attention to what you're actually doing. And it goes deeper than that because it creates uh, it, it creates that neuronic 
pathway that triggers like for example you know a lot of people drive to work every day it's such an automatic behavior you kind of are in a hypnosis hypnotic hypnotic uh trance while you're listening to the radio or on the phone or whatever and uh i did this for a number of years and then they changed the exit they, they were doing some work and i had to get off an exit earlier but my mind never triggered until i saw certain things to go oh and for about a week and a half to two weeks i kept driving past the earlier exit and going ah which was really annoying because the next exit was like another several miles down the road and i'm just but you we get caught into these patterns and it takes a while to rewire our brains to what we want so with that's not to say though that you can't choose it's not to say that even though I'm the religion, I'm the religion that I am and or the car that I drive. It's not that we can't choose those things. Once I had that awareness, I was like, I, I like my car. I, I would choose this car. It's a good car. But I chose it out of consciousness. Um, yeah. You know, you're doing a lot of work that has been in your family for some while. I'm assuming that you're doing it because you find deep fulfillment in it and, and, and a deep level of success and, and all those other reasons and and not just because you're trying to achieve somebody's validation or love or approval, um, right. but quite a different story when you when you take that conscious awareness to it. Yeah, and and I can't say that. When I started, I don't know. If, if thinking back, it might have been for that connection or that approval because I spent six years working inside my dad's company in coaching, and I always wanted his approval. I always wanted a connection. you know. And then I spent another two years in outside sales and then I decided to start a company that we don't look at it this way, but in the beginning, technically, directly competes with his. That's true. Which That's means true. it caused a bunch of headaches. It caused me having calls from his legal team being like, what the hell do you think you're doing? Oh, wow. I was like, I'm starting a coaching company. He's like, and? <laughs> like, you can't use any of our material. I'm like, okay, I won't. And I'm like, I don't know if you could tell if I am or not, but I won't. <laughs> and well, not to be it, a, but not it to creates jackass, friction. But is there? Did did you get? Were you frustrated at all about that? Like, hey, this is my dad. Like, you, I'm not. I never looked at it that way. Yeah. I looked at it. The mission is to help people, and if I'm helping people, y'all should be supporting it because y'all say the mission is to help people too. So technically, we're both helping people. Yeah. Now, if you're mad at me for helping people, is that really your mission? And they'd be like, well, yeah, it is the mission. I'm like, then y'all should be supporting me. Let's go. <laughs> like. There's 7 billion people on the planet. Personal development industry has only gotten the 300 million of them. Mm -hmm. Therefore, there's 6.7, 6.8 billion people that don't know this industry exists. We've got a lot of work to do. You know, there's no reason people should be trying to tear down other companies. They should be building everyone up in the space and being like, hey, all of us need to figure out how to get to that 6.8 billion other people. And we need to work our asses off every day to try to change their lives. Yeah. So you how know, did that the play blue out? ocean. Well, it, it played out to the point where we had a few headbutts, and it was us learning something, which was us recalibrating. And what was funny, what transformed everything was a couple things. At one time, you know, just getting used to it and being like, oh, I'm not going after his clients. As a matter of fact, which people show up and they're like, oh, I just went to your dad's event. I'm like, great, they have coaches, go talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> like, I send people right back over, and they're like, but I wanna work with you. I'm like, I'm full, sorry, bye. And and I sent them right back, and they're like, "Wow, that's that's pretty cool. Like you could get the business." I'm like, "I don't need the business. There's 6.8 billion other people that need help. Yeah. If these are your clients, take them. 
I, you know, I want the other 6.8 billion people on the planet. I'm not concerned with the 300 million that are already into this stuff. Yeah. I'm concerned with people who've never heard of this before in their life. That's why we create stuff like that podcast because people who get personal development, they're already listening to great shows like yours. They're listening to Tim Ferriss. They're listening to Lewis Howes. They're listening to Sean Stevenson. Like they're into it. Yeah. I want to talk to the people who don't know this exists and I need to come up with a creative way to make it look like we're not talking about personal development. We're just talking about how someone overcame addiction, how someone overcame losing their, their first baby at a full term birth, how someone overcame, uh, you know, getting invited to go on a trip to help rescue 26 girls, nine, 10, 12 years old who've been abducted in the sex slavery. And what's it like mentally as a father when you get there and help get the bad guys you know, arrested, get the young kids taken away. And then you're sitting there crying, realizing we have no fucking problems. Wow. Like these are real conversations yep. I want to bring to life for people. Yep. So that if you're in a top office in Hong Kong or a small village in Uganda, you realize number one, you're not alone. Number two, you can make it through this. And number three, just keep moving forward. Keep making progress. It's all going to work out in the long run. And if you can get these core messages to people without making it look like a book and a seminar, I've realized I can get to those 6.8 billion people and I try my best every single day to find them. That's why that's our core mission. How can we reach the people who need us most with the message they need at the moment they need us? And that's why we create all this content to push out there and figure out a way to get to them in the least suspecting ways. And, and we're not packaging it up like everyone else because there's plenty of people doing that. We have some stuff that falls into the normal space, but most of our stuff we're trying to disguise and wrap up in different types of packages so that it slides under their radar and gets out as just a normal conversation that happens to show them more options in their day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. And and so over time, though, that wasn't it. You know, I was trying to mirror and mimic and model a lot of stuff I saw dad doing because apparently it worked. Um, lots of people do that. I, I see lots of people go to a seminar, come out the other side, and they're, they're going to be a success coach and a speaker like Tony. And I'm like, hey, proud of you. Go get it done, man. Just yeah. go after the other 6.8 billion, please. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, that happens all the time. And over time, one thing that dynamically changed everything was when I sat down and I said, you know, what do I really want to receive most from him and my grandmother? You know, the type of love, the type of appreciation, type of acknowledgement. And then I asked myself a deep question. I said, how much of this do I continuously give to them? Mm. I was like, oh, shit. Mm. Time to grow up. Yeah. Mm. And I remember it dynamically changed. My wife changed a lot of this for me because she naturally does this. And I observed her doing it. And I was like, wow, people like me a lot more when you're around. She's like, shut up. People love you. And I was like, no, seriously. I think they think I'm a lot cooler when she's around. Uh, interesting. And, and, and she goes, what do you mean? And I was like, you are good at a couple things I'm not as good at. And it's why I feel like I'm always trying to get it but she feels completely full. And when I noticed and watched close enough, the realization was she always, and we both do this, we did it in different areas, but it's the concept of taking time to fill up and give yourself so much of what you're looking for that you're full, yep. that now when you go to those other people, instead of trying to get anything, you're only there to share the abundance that you're overflowing with. Mm -hmm. And as soon as that happened, I remember going to have lunch with dad and being like, how's your book doing? That's amazing. Congratulations. I'm so proud of you. Holy shit. Look at what you just accomplished. Yeah. How many people did you get there? Fuck, that's incredible. You just broke another record. Good job. Wow. And all that conversation changed. And then something really magical happened.
all of a sudden, it's funny. When I no longer needed it or wanted it, yeah. it started to show up in layers and layers and layers of conversation right back. Holy shit, I'm so proud of you. Look at you go. That's amazing. Holy crap, that's incredible. And it was like, whoa, what the shit just happened? Yeah. And it's like that concept, you know? Uh, people say when you're starving and you have no money, no one will give you shit. As soon as you become a multimillionaire, everyone wants to take you out for a free lunch. And it's like, where the shit were you when I was broke, bro? <laughs> right. Like, come on. Right. And it's the same concept here. Right. When you feel empty, no one wants to share it with you. If you take time to fill up personally from the beginning yourself, and then you share it with all those people around you, it comes back in layers and layers and layers every single day. The 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 part where you said give it to yourself first, I think, is so like we as a self help industry. I don't know that we spend enough time on that piece alone because I think a lot of people immediately jump to oh well let me let me compliment somebody else, let me give to somebody else, but secretly what's called a um, I forget what it's called, but the underlying all of that was is the desire to please say that I'm amazing back. Please say I love you back. Please give me validation, respect, approval, etc. And and so it's disingenuous. So that piece of let me fill myself up first. Why don't we take a minute just real quick because we are getting a little bit short on time, but walk somebody through how they really do that. Where How do they really love themselves to get to a point where they're full enough to where when they go out into the world, they're doing it from a place of authentic love and, and, and giving away? It's a big question. Everyone's different. Everyone's different, and everyone has different stuff that's kind of blocked up. Um, I, I was doing a, a oneness university course with a group of monks from East India in Fiji one time for my 26th or 25th birthday, and I remember they were talking about the concept of all of us have the ability to pour into other people around us. Most of us are just all clogged up with our own crap. Mm -hmm. Meaning, if you look at it, us like a channel or a river. If our river is filled up with all these past pains and hurts and negative stuff, the water is being blocked and the flow of all that extra love or abundance or whatever we want to share is being backed up in the dam. If we can go back and heal each one of those moments bit by bit, piece by piece, as we heal them, they kind of disappear and dissipate. And all of a sudden it opens up the river where now it can flow through us which means now we have the ability to not only share it with ourselves first, but then the overflow to other people. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many different ways to heal. It depends on what you've gone through. I have a couple of friends, Alexi and Preston. Uh, they have something called the bridge process, which they do like physical trauma healing and help you get through past traumas and shake it out of your body. Um, there's, there's another one, I forget what it's called. It's like something tremor therapy, where it's like basically you get yourself kind of shaking like a tremor. And the concept is like if you watch animals, how like a zebra's butt always has like a weird twitch going on, <laughs> that twitch is physically releasing tension out of its body. Mm. And so by getting our, our bodies to do that, it physically releases tension. Um, you know, yoga mats have a lot of healing to them just because it's a physical space. You can clear your mind while you're physically stretching your body and stretching your mind in the process. Meditation can heal. Um, all kinds of, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I'm, I'm a coach. I don't do therapy, but therapy is a wonderful place to go heal. There's so many resources, but you got to figure out, you know, is there any trauma? And if there is, what's the best vehicle to heal that trauma? And as you heal your own shit, you'll start to awaken and become the type of person who can help heal others and be like, I've been through that. Here's what I did. And it worked mm -hmm. and refer them to whatever you did and send them over there. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think where we miss stuff is, you know, there's a three part philosophy we live by, which is learn it, live it, then give it. 
what happens is a lot of people read a book and instead of healing themselves, they yeah. start trying to heal everyone around them when their shit's still all jacked up. Yes. And it's like, whoa, fella, learn it, then live it. Fix your shit, get it right, then go help other people. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm guilty of that too. You know, when I was really young, I'd go to dad's seminars, learn some shit, walk outside and be like, let me teach you this stuff. And people would look at it, you know, 15 year old kid and be like, okay, fella, like yeah. live a few more years. You'll find out. Yeah. I used to hate when people say that shit, but, it's the but same it was words. true because I wasn't living it. Right. And as soon as I started living it, it's a whole different discussion. Um, you know, now we live, I've learned, I was listening to Gary Vaynerchuk earlier and he's like, any advice I give is just based on what I've done that worked. Yeah. Otherwise I just won't talk on the topic. <laughs> and, and I've learned to clean up my own act too and comb through and be like, Hey, the only thing I talk about now is the stuff that we've actually lived that have worked. If you tell me how to raise, ask me how to raise kids, I would laugh and be like, shit, I don't know. Good luck. <laughs> you know, if you ask me how to get through having your first child as a male entrepreneur, only because I've coached probably 50 men through that process, I can tell you what to watch out for based on their experience but I haven't been through it, so I can't tell you from firsthand experience. Yeah. I can coach you through the process, but never been there. And I'll yeah. tell people that. Like, if, if you become very honest and transparent and real with people, they'll respect it. Yeah. And you don't have to have done everything to help them. You just have to have gone through the piece that they're about to go through, and all of a sudden you can help them tremendously. Yeah, that's a huge point. Um Hopefully all this is useful to people tuning in. Oh, guaranteed it is. Guaranteed it is. It's a, it's a message that people don't – I mean all of this though is just things that most people don't think about. Most people are stuck in their um, – in the hypnotic uh, influences that they receive from parents, culture, uh, school, pop culture, whatever. You know, it, it's – so this I'm is a very worthy conversation for sure. What's that? Popping bottles at the club. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um how much more time do you got? Keep going. Okay. Okay. Tell me, uh, t what's your biggest challenge right now? Um, so it, it depends on where. Like if, I mean, the first thing we talked about business first. So business, biggest challenge in business right this second is scaling. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's the concept of hiring the right people, putting them in the right places and, and allowing more of it to be leveraged. It's that transition from taking myself out as a, as a business operator over to a business owner. And, and I'm already in the position. It's working. It's just scaling it and keeping the culture very tight and very clean. Mm -hmm. And so it's something we're applying in our own business. And we're also helping other businesses figure that out and apply it in theirs as well. And, and, it, and it's working. Um, you know, if I bring up my numbers, I'll, I'll, I'll be specific. It's I think we're currently 36% year-to-date. So we're 34% year to date in, in growth month over month. Um, but January we were 55% growth. Uh, February we were 38%. March we were 165% growth. Nice. Uh, April we were 91% growth. May we were 25%. June we were 12%. Uh, July we were 60%. August we were 48%. So what most of the, these months. What was the March spike for, do you know? Um, we had a couple big events come through. So the, the key driver of that was a couple big speaking events that came through, mm -hmm. which we're working on rebooking right now since we're, <laughs> we're like, you Hey, those? <laughs> those were big drivers. Like yeah. we know those again, like, yeah. come on guys, we're going to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, 
this is uh, I'm totally shifting gears on you for a second, but I'm curious to hear what you think about this. What how do you what is it to be a man in your mind? Hmm. So this transitioned over the years for me. And what I what I've learned is there was a pivotal program I listened to that honestly I wasn't going to listen to because I thought it was a bunch of bullshit. And one of my friends was like, no, 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 it's really good stuff. And, and there's a guy named Evan Pagan who I later became friends with. Yeah. And and I didn't know who he was. And my friend handed me this program. And on the cover, it said, double your dating. I was like, <laughs> what kind of bullshit is this? And and I read, you know, list, read some of the copy David of D'Angelo. it. And it's like picking up women and cocky comedy. I'm like, really? Who the fuck needs this shit? Like, just go talk to people, dude. Like, what's wrong? Yeah. And, and I, I just had this like it seemed sleazy and dirty and gross. Like why are men listening to pick up patterns of conversation of how to talk to women to get them? I was like, it seems so creepy. Like share with women, give to them, take care of them, be there for them, support them, love them. Like don't pick them up and get them. Like it seems, yeah, it seems manipulative and creepy. And, and so I, I I didn't like it. And he's like, no, 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 no. promise me. Just listen to it. It's like, shit. Okay. So I freaking listen to it. And in in the program, there was something really important. He said, you know, for the man to live, the boy must die. Mm. I remember going, oh, that's like, he's got some interesting shit here. And I was like, what what does that mean? And I started listening. And he said, in every tribe around the world, there's rituals that transition the death of the boy and the beginning of the man. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And so many years later, my dad and I, we we went together a little family trip to go on safari in, in Tanzania. And while we were there, we went and visited the Maasai tribe, which is a, a migrant tribe that moves with the seasons. They're, they have cows, mm. and so they're constantly grazing with the cows and moving to different places. And every few weeks, they'll literally move the village. And so when we went there, um, the way their village is set up is there's a, a thicket fence. Then there's little huts inside of the fence where the women and children sleep. And then there's a, a cow ring in the middle where the cows go. So it's the cows, then the women and children, then a fence, and then the men sleep outside on the ground. Mm. And the purpose and the reason why the men sleep outside on the ground is to protect against the lions physically from attacking the village. And I was like, wait a minute. Grown men sleep on the ground outside to protect against the lions that are trying to hunt the cows? That sounds like some crazy shit to me. Like, really? Like, they fight lions at 2 in the morning by hand? And he's like, yeah, that's how they've done it forever. Mm. I was like, wow. And and when they described it, they said, at 13 years old in this village... When there's a boy, what they do is all the men, all the elders and the cousins and brothers and dad and everything will sneak up. They'll rip him out of his hut at two in the morning. They'll put a bag over his head and tie him up and drag him out to the forest. Wow. And then when they finally, they'll get all of them at the same night. So when they finally get him out there, all the women will scream like, no, don't kill him. And they think they're getting kidnapped by the, you know, some neighboring village is going to kill them all. And so their heart's racing. They're scared out of their mind. And when they finally take the sack off their head in the middle of the village, in the forest, they realize it's their uncle, their brother, their cousin, their dad. They're like, oh, my God, I'm not going to die. And then they say, hey, you know, here's the thing. For the next 12 months, as a 13-year-old boy, you're going to have to live out here in the forest by yourself. And you have to learn how to protect yourself. You have to learn how to provide for yourself. Hmm. And, and you got to learn how to, how to survive and thrive. Now, if you, if you succeed, the final task is you have to kill a lion by hand and bring it back to the village. And if you can complete that task, now the boy will be dead, the man will live, we'll give you a new name, and we'll never refer to you as that old name that you had ever before. You are now considered a man and you're part of the village. 
if you fail, you're dead. Because there's really, like, if you fail taking care of yourself, you're dead. If you can't kill the lion, the lion kills you, you're dead. So it's a win. It's a live or die situation. Mm. And the ones who survive come back and they're now considered men of the village. And the reason they have to kill the lion by hand is it's a young boy, because when they get older, that's part of their responsibility of the village is to protect it from the lions. That's why they sleep outside on the ground. All the men do. Mm. And so they have a specific role that they play and they must have the ability to, to succeed at that role before they're welcomed back to play that role in the village. That's now, what's interesting, I, when I was there, my dad elbowed me. He's like, hey, ready to become a man? I was like, dude, are you ready to become a man? I'm going to throw you in the forest for a year. Good luck. Right. And we started laughing. You Both first. of us were like, nah, we're okay. <laughs> Neither <laughs> of us were up for the task in that case. Um, but but the interesting part, and that, that's slowly transitioning over, over time now. Like I saw a kid do a TEDx where he created this like light movement thing that goes outside the fence of the village that scares the lions away because it looks like someone's moving with lights. So he's like, now we don't have to fight the lions because the moving light all night has a motion detector and just scares away the lions with the light. Yeah. And it's like, okay, there's a plus and a minus to that. The plus is the lions don't have to be hurt, which is great for PETA. The plus is, you know, the men don't have to be fighting off lions every day. Um, but the minus is there's going to be an innate part of those humans that's been part of their generational history of that village that's going to go away, yeah. which is what's the new way to transition boys to men. What's interesting in this country, in the US, we don't have a lot. Nothing. You know, there used to be something like Boy Scouts. Now it's Scouts because girls and boys are the same and we should throw them all together. Um, there used to be, what else was there that, you know, boy to man, I, you know, get your kid drunk and take him to a strip club and show him some boobs. Like, I don't know if that's the way they were transitioning boys. I don't know what that prepares you for as a man. Right. Um, not much. No. Uh, and, and so we wonder why, you know, what's the role? What's the piece there? And I, I realize equality, I'm, I'm a big fan of, hey, women can do just as much. And honestly, they can do way more than men. I mean, they can do all the things we can do and 3D print a human. So at this point in history with technology, like they could cross paths with zero men in their entire lives and have an incredibly fulfilling life with a family if they wanted one just by using all the tech that's available. Like that's not necessarily available for a man. So they can have everything we can have and everything else too, which is remarkable. So I, I believe in equality. I believe they're they're equipped to do just the same things we can if they want to. Um, at the same time, I, I still have a bit of an old-fashioned part of me which says, hey, when when I sat down, I know in my mind how I would like our family to be with me and my wife. Um, and I had to ask her what is her vision of how she would like our family to be. And then we had to, uh, in the beginning, come up with what's our vision. What roles do we want to play? You know, what what roles do you want to play? What things do you want to be in charge of? And what things do I want to be in charge of? And let's say, make sure that matches. What would really suck is to get married to someone because you think they're hot, and then six years later be like, hey, wait a minute. Uh, I thought I would make breakfast every day. And they're like, no, that's my role. Like, what are you doing? And now, you, now you're like, oh, well, I thought you'd make lunch. And they're like, I don't want to make you lunch. Get over it. Mm-hmm. And and so it's interesting. Like you got to understand each other and figure out what roles are you guys going to take. And under different circumstances, how did that adjust? Um, I, I, that's not the most important thing for finding someone. I think the most important thing is finding someone who's all in, who's going to be with you no matter where the journey takes you. Yeah. You know, I heard a story in San Diego where this uh, really badass motocross guy married some super hot chick and had great kids, and he got in a motorcycle accident, became a quadriplegic, and she left him with the kids. She left him with the kids Damn. and was like, I just can't do this. And if his bros didn't step up and help take care of the kids and him, 
he would have been screwed because he was a quadriplegic trying to take care of two little kids. And so like someone who's all in, who's willing to go with you, who's willing to push you in that wheelchair uh, is, is, you know, the optimum choice. Someone who's with you no matter what life throws at you. But they got to be all in and, and committed and never leave and, and willing to go through it. And obviously there's circumstantial reasons. If someone gets abusive or does something really stupid, obviously there, there might be reason. Uh, but I think so many people jump in for the wrong reasons and don't take time to vet out is it really a solid fit. Mm-hmm. So being a man to me is being all in for the ones you love, uh, being willing to be there when they need you, being willing to listen and hear them and see them and appreciate them for who they are, being willing to anticipate what's needed and step up and really deliver. Um, it's being willing to recognize the parts of you that are still a boy that want to pick on or tease or or you know do any of those types of things like a little boy would do where he like pulls the girl's hair and teases her and pokes her and makes fun of her and then think of it you know how would how would a man show up a man would be there to to listen and to uh, support and and care for and guide and and uh, be guided by the ones they love mm-hmm. and so learning how to let go of all those bits and pieces of a boy and learning how to really step into all the elements of a man i think for me defines what that man is it's the evolution of a boy to become someone who can care for and provide for and love on all the ones that they really love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's it's something that's near and dear to my heart. It's uh, it's been a focus of mine for the last 10, 12 years um, because it's such a gaping hole. There's such a void for um, for that rite of passage for the Western man right now. For uh, at least here in America, there's really no delineation between that boy and man. So there's yeah. fuzzy lines and and people adrift. A lot of men that are just adrift and not not really clear on what they want, and or or they succumb to pressure around them, and they try to fit into a mold that somebody else wants them to live into, and they're trying to appease and approve and, and respect, or they go the other direction and they just bulldoze, uh, fuck it, you know, and they become abusive and and uh, and all that. So the old the old the the best representation i've seen that masses could go through that kind of training was old 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 school military training mm. not the new school new school is different um you know now people pick on each other and do all kinds of bullshit but and it's getting better but but old old school where it was unity over a specific mission that all men were coming together to protect and defend the ones they care for and love and they were willing to discipline themselves they were willing to stay focused on continual habits and routines to prepare, to literally put their life on the line to, take, to protect the ones that matter to them most. Um, and men and women are both included in that, but it's the willing to, again, discipline yourself to do what's necessary to take care of the ones you love. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, it was a combined effort for a very specific purpose for a cause much greater than oneself. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like when you can look at that element and say, wow, I wonder if there's a way I can train that into my nervous system. It, it becomes a very beautiful thing. Uh, um, sacred in my mind. Yeah. yeah. And I, I look for those moments. I, you know, I've had the privilege of being hired to go uh, do trainings for the, the special forces of the Air Force and all that stuff. And I always take a moment to say, hey, can you all put me through any of your training? Like, <laughs> I, I want more of this. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I've been tied up and tossed in the pool and they're like here we'll drown proof you i'm like thanks as i'm <laughs> swallowing water and spitting up everywhere and they're laughing their asses off they're like oh you're getting it huh and i'm like <laughs> they're like yeah yeah good job keep going buddy um and so they have fun jacking around with me and, yeah. and showing me a little bit of what they do they don't put me through all of it but they'll do some of it with me and and you know i, I have great respect and honor for people who are willing to sacrifice their life to take care of other people and yep. 
it's not everybody. Some people are there for the wrong reasons, but the ones who show up really truly of service are, are beautiful humans, and I'm, I'm wildly appreciative to them. Very cool. Let me uh, wrap this up with one sort of final question. How do you want people to remember not, I, I usually ask this question, I say, how do you want people to remember you? And that immediately puts people in a frame of mind of like, after I'm dead. But how do you want people to remember you, you know, legacy wise, yes, but also just in their interaction with your with your company with, with you? What are say the, the, the three top things that you want people to, um, to use to describe you and or and or an experience with your company? Sure, there's probably just one. Um, and, and it, it, I always say people around you can give you a better, uh, reflection of who you really are than what you think you are. Cause, cause you know, if, if I were to use words that describe me, I'm like top achiever, high performer, all this stuff. And, and I like those words cause they inspire me and they're exciting. Um, you know, I, I, I see a Dwayne, the rock Johnson version of myself storming through all the chaos and, and saving lives, all that shit. <laughs> Uh, it's probably what's going on in my head. Um, too many wrestling matches as a kid watching that stuff. But uh, I remember I was at a conference and I've, I've always wanted to meet Seth Godin. He's a great guy. And, and I, I admire what he does in marketing and how well he's done it over the years. And so I was speaking at a conference. He happened to be speaking at the same conference. A friend of mine said, hey, I'll introduce you. So he took me to his green room and pushed me in the room. And they're like, hey, this is Seth. Seth, Jarek, nice to meet you. And they don't meet each other. And I was like, hey, nice to meet you. And he's like, hey, nice to meet you. And we connected for a little bit. And I was like, yeah, I can't wait to see your presentation. He's like, good, good. You know, shook hands. That's it. And I went out and, and at the end, I, I asked a question. And, and I had a very specific question because like you, I, I grew up in a situation where I had a father who's a really big deal and I grew up working for his company and then in leaving and starting my own and, and, you know, trying to purple cow myself into the world and figure out my unique differences to stand out and be myself authentically, all this jazz. And I overheard from a friend that his son works for him in his mailroom at his company. Mm. I was like, oh, Mr. Purple Cow has <laughs> a very close son that also works in his company. I'm like, I worked in my dad's company. His son yeah. works in his company. Okay. From the Purple Cow standpoint, I wonder what he would tell his son on how to Purple Cow it, stand out, be different, be unique, be himself. So I asked the question. At the end of the presentation, shot my hand up, and I'm like, what would you tell your son <laughs> on how to stand out purple Mr. cow style. Yeah. And he stopped. He says, I don't think this question has anything to do with me or my son. I think this question has to do with you. Now I was like, damn it. Touché. I really oh. wanted to know what he would ask his son. What do you say to his son? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, this is not the time, Seth. Stay focused. Answer the question. <laughs> um, and and he, he, he said, no, I think this more has to do with you. And he said, listen, I know who you are. I've watched your stuff online, which is a great compliment. I'm like, holy shit, you watch my stuff? Yeah. And part of it was I was trying to get him on our podcast or our, our vlog a while ago. And I had a friend who worked for him. And she's like, with Seth, you have to be persistent. So she emailed him like 18 times. And he kept saying no. She was like, well, I'll just be persistent. I'll keep hitting him up. And eventually he was like, no means no. Get over it. Yeah. So there was a little bit of that still there. And and he says, I think this more has to do with you than it does with with my son. So if, if I could help to the audience here. He said, I've watched your stuff. I know what you do. And he said, if I were to give you any feedback from an outside perspective, what makes you different is the fact that you care. And I remember being like, ooh, that's cool. And then the back of my head is like, how the hell do you make that into a marketing logo? Like, <laughs> welcome to JarekRobbins.com. I care. <laughs> like anyone who tells you they care 
You're like, but do you? Yeah. Like, it gets fucking creepy when people say shit like that. Like, trust me, I'm telling the truth. I'm like, you fucking liar. Only liars say that before they say shit. Like, <laughs> so I, I've learned over the year. That was a few years ago, and I've I've learned to be like, okay, is that true? Because it's someone who I respect, who's outside looking in. They're watching how I show up, and they're telling me something that they see to be true from an outside perspective. Mm-hmm. I was like, I think it's true. I really do care. I spend, you can ask my wife, I spend hours every day just messaging people back and answering questions and helping people solve stuff. You know, I had a guy yesterday who called me to sign up for coaching and he told me all the stuff that was going on in his life. And then he wrote me today and he's like, ah, I decided not to move forward. And I was like, that's okay. Here's five things that can solve what you told me in your challenge with yesterday. Hmm. Like, I'm not hiding it behind the payment. Like, pay me and then I'll help you. I'm like, no, fuck it. Here, I'll change your damn life right now if I have the opportunity to. And if God sent you to me right now, Great, I'll show up and deliver, and who knows, maybe we'll cross paths in the future again. Hmm. And I'm cool with that, yeah, because I know if I keep doing that, it'll always stack up, and it'll stack up in the fact that I found the person who needed us most with the message they needed at the moment they needed it, and I delivered, and, and that's all. that was the victory. Hmm. The victory isn't someday in the future it's gonna add up in my favor. The victory is, hey, maybe that was the one person I needed to help today, and maybe this was the exact way I needed to help them. That's beautiful. And like I said, when I started to forget about all the other stuff and only focus on that, everything grew exponentially. Mm. Words to think about, for sure. Jarek, man, it's been a pleasure. Uh, your book, Live It, Achieve Success by Living with Purpose, uh, is available where? Everywhere. Uh, Amazon. Amazon. Amazon, all over the world. There's, there's Audible has it on audio. If you want to listen to me, be really excited and read you a book. Uh, and if, if you'd rather read it yourself, then you can get it on Amazon. They have it in paperback and Kindle and all that jazz. Uh, and where can they find you online? Um, if you Google me. So this is going to be the easiest one because most of you are going to jack up the spelling of my name. I know. I have creative parents. I thank them every day for the awesomeness they put together called Jarek, which is J-A-I-R-E-K and then space R-O-B-B-I-N-S. If you jack it up, that's fine. Do it in Google. It knows who I am. It'll direct you right to me. Um, and I'd say come hang out on Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, anything. We have all the channels open and we pump out content daily and, and all we're doing is pumping good thoughts. If you see something you like, hit repost and help help spread the ripple into the world. And hopefully, if it's me sharing it or you sharing it or someone else sharing it, hopefully it'll get to the person that needs it most every day. Love that, man. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Of course. All right, brother.